Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Going good. You just had a wonderful trip. Where yeah, did I you go? To, I went to Ohio. There was this director's series, and it was uh, featuring the Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me film. They got to showing it, and they had Ray Wise and Cheryl Lee there doing a Q&A. I got to go to three showings, and you're going to get to listen to the three Q&A sessions that happened. Thank you. My pal from Switzerland That's right. and one from Holland. The Netherlands, yes. Yes, yes. indeed. Has anyone else traveled further than Switzerland and Holland? <laughs> yes. Akron, Cleveland. <laughs> I'm from Akron. Born and raised, born and raised in Akron, Ohio, went to Garfield High School, and then I went to Kent State University. Graduated in 1969, went right to New York, and in a couple of weeks I walked into an open audition at CBS, and I got a soap opera called Love of Life. It was 1970. I did Love of Life for about, not, um, am, am I talking too much? I did, love, I did Love of Life for, for about 950 half-hour episodes. And uh, it, was a, it was the beginning of my career, and it was a great job. And uh, there it was in the 70s, and I was making good dough, and uh, I couldn't believe my luck, you know. And then in 77, I came out to California, and it just continued. I did, the first thing I did was Charlie's Angels, the, the original Charlie's Angels show, you know. And, uh, and that's what got me started out here, and I, and I haven't stopped since. For uh, 51 years. And that's almost impossible for somebody who's only 45 years old. <laughs> this is my partner in crime, Cheryl Lee. My, my television and my movie daughter and uh, one of the great loves of my life. And uh, I'm indebted to her forever. And you know, a little story, a little story. She gave me a picture of her uh, in the fourth grade. And I put it in my wallet when we did the pilot. And I kept that picture in my back pocket 
for the entire series. She was with me the whole time. And then I gave the picture back to you, do you remember? I figured you'd want it back. <laughs> Probably the only fourth grade picture she had. <laughs> I crack her up all the time. All the time, but I see no picture. It was funny. When I was killing her as Maddie. <laughs> just like this, in between takes. Yeah, it was great. But that was the main way to keep our sanity, you know? It was like a great release. I'm sharing a microphone with Cheryl Lee, my, my first crush. He's not lying. It, it, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I will tell a real brief version of, of this, but uh, when I was a kid, I, uh, my mom was cutting my hair, and we were watching the Twin Peaks pilot as it aired in the kitchen on a little black and white TV, and it was the Sunday movie of the week, so I was like, this is going to be crap, Mom, I don't want to watch your Sunday movie of the week, and uh, it turned out to be the pilot of Twin Peaks, and I was hooked, and the moment Agent Cooper was laying on the floor shot, and the old man kept checking on it for 15 minutes, my mom bailed. And I continued and watched this incredible show. So, mm. so you, to me, getting into film, were what I saw first time I remember seeing acting. And acting to the point where I, when you lost your daughter, when you said my daughter's dead, I was bawling. I had never had my heart broken. I never had anyone in my family die yet. So it was like my first feeling of like grief was seeing you lose your daughter. Wow. I was nine. <laughs> I'm gonna try not to choke up. <laughs> oh, no. no, but uh, and then and then you, uh, you're why I wanted to date a cheerleader in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but this is not about me. It's about all of you. Thank you so much for coming to this. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Well, you made it through the movie, huh? <laughs> what? I bet it wasn't easy. I know. <laughs> A real feel-good feel good flick. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it a few times. And, uh, um, it's funny, you know, when that movie opened in Cannes at, at the festival, um, the audience actually booed it. It's terrible. Yeah, and uh, David walked out after a few minutes and the booing continued. <laughs> yeah. Tonight we celebrate with cheers. Yeah. Yeah. But then every succeeding year, the movie kept getting better and better. <laughs> it didn't change, but it kept getting better and better and better. Until now, well, for my money, I think it's uh, one of David's masterpieces. Oh. Right? And this girl... Well, this guy. <laughs> what she went through, that was... Uh, an amazing tour de force, that performance. Well, I couldn't have done that. Really. Yeah, we tried to keep it light in between takes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> tried to hug each other a lot and joke a little bit, and you know, and then get back to the serious stuff. It would, we managed to keep our sanity throughout all of it, and uh, we had a great time. This is happening right now. <laughs> But now, now we have to let Cheryl. No, now we have questions. People who aren't used to asking questions, who are shy, 
Don't be shy. So the one shouting the question should be the one we pick on, right? Because she's shy. She's pretty sure, shy. she's good. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you. Chocolate cake. Yeah, the dinner was really fantastic. Um, and, and it really got me in the mood anyway. <laughs> that was the goal, man. It worked. I felt a little song coming on. I had the... Uh... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. No. Yes. Sinatra. No. Come on, Frankie. And the dance. Oh, I really couldn't... Oh. <laughs> something else it was him and whether it was a, another part of his brain kicking in or whatever you want to call it I, I did not uh, I did not ever think of Bob Bob was not part of my thinking always Leland always Leland and then uh, at, at the end the last episode when I when I die I, 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 I become aware of everything that I've done as Bob what a big surprise it was for Leland, you know. But it was a wonderful thing. Yes, sir. So, first of all, welcome both of you to Columbus. Hope you're having a good time. Thank, Thank you. Fans. And a um, question for Cheryl. First of all, I'm a huge Beatles fan as well as a Twin Peaks fan, so I love doing backbeat. Thank you. Now out on Blu-ray, so if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Thank you. <laughs> Back to Twin Peaks. Um, one image that's always struck with me is when you do the meanwhile, was that a specific direction from David? Was that something you did? Does it have any symbolic meaning for you? Or 
You know, I wish I could remember that moment more. Um, I'm certain that it came from David and David's brilliant mind and that it means something somewhere very significant. Um, I don't know that I would have ever been given that information, but um, for me, you know, I always have to translate, even if I don't necessarily know what his meaning of something is, for me to make the moment true. It has to mean something for me, so it did. But that's a secret. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, any more questions? Yes, sir. So, working on the series and the movie, how was, I guess, your acting approach on those as far as, did you have way more time to play when you were shooting the film? As far as, you know, dialogue was a lot looser than with the TV series and just stick more to the scripts. What was the difference there for you guys personally as actors? Hmm. Well, for me, always sticking to the script with David was something that you just do. It's different with different directors, but um, yeah, it's it's pretty word for word. Everything is so, um, especially the the series, and um, everything is so well constructed by the writers that uh, you really don't want to mess with any of the words. You know, and, um, everything has double, triple meanings, and and so if you get a few words off screws up the whole <laughs> mechanism, you know? And, and so we, we pretty much stay to the, every once in a while, you know, we toss in a little uh, exclamation, but uh, those are few, <coughs> few and far between. So when, as far as like shooting it, did you feel like you moved the same pace? Or did David have one kind of play with the film and the inside the episode from the rest of it? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely in terms of mood and pace and creativity film the film was very very different than working on the television show especially at that time originally when i met with david i thought i was going in for the part of the sheriff <laughs> sheriff truman and then uh, a couple days later when i got the call and said david wants you to play leland i thought wait a minute i gotta look back at the script and see leland he finds out that his daughter is dead and he cries and then he goes to the morgue and identify his daughter's body and he cries. <laughs> and then he's up in his daughter's bedroom when they're searching for her diary and he, and he cries. <laughs> then all this guy does is cry. <laughs> ah, but therein lies the challenge. I thought I have to show different levels of crying <laughs> and different types of grief. And then as I started to show, show them what I could do, they started writing more more and more for the outrageous things that Leland did, throwing himself on, uh, on ca 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 you know, the caskets and uh, dancing with himself and all that dancing stuff. Dancing with myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little Billy Idol in your life right now. You came into the process as a, as a, as a dead girl. <laughs> Wrapped in plastic, right? And, and, that, and that, you thought, at the time that that was going to be it, right? Yeah, just like four days as a body. <laughs> four days as a, as a lovely body, I have to say. And uh, you, were, you were wonderful in that plastic. <laughs> uh, but in Fire Walk With Me, um, she was absolutely amazing. Well. And
She did everything that an actress uh, can imaginably do. Um, she ran the whole gamut of emotions. It was amazing to, to watch her. I had a good teacher. Um, you can tell so. we get along. You know. <laughs> yes? Uh, one, I love you both. Oh, thanks. Thank and uh, the question is for Cheryl. Cheryl, I'm a, friend, or I'm a fan of both Twin Peaks and One Tree Hill. <laughs> and you play very traumatic roles. Like, you deal with very heavy roles, it seems like. So how do you deal with that? How do you prepare for that? Well, um, it's the... I don't have necessarily one way of preparing for every single thing, but I do love research. I always have, so I love that part of the creative process. Um, to get to dive into worlds that I may not get to experience in my everyday life. So I do extensive research and I, um, but that's both internal and external. And sometimes for characters it's more internal and sometimes for characters it's more external or sometimes I start outside and work in and then sometimes I start inside and work out or do both simultaneously. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Yeah. So for Ray, um, in my opinion you were criminally underused in Twin Peaks season three. Did you have a discussion with David about about I was criminally underused. <laughs> That's a wonderful way of putting it. I feel the same way. Uh, I wanted to be in it more. We, we heard rumors, you know, that David was going to do another season, and then, uh, and then uh, one day I got a, uh, I got a call on my home phone, and I wasn't there to answer it, and it was on the machine, and then I, I played the message, and it went, uh, "Hello, Ray." <laughs> David Lynch here. How you doing? Hope you're doing great. Uh, and then uh, he went on to say that he was going to get back to me uh, and or to, to call him back. So I called him back and he said we're going to do season three, and um, and that I would be in it. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be something. It was something uh, for everybody else. <laughs> But not for me. I thought when we did the Between Two Worlds thing, you know, I thought it would be more of that. That we would go in this world and then that, the real world and then that world. And, the, and then I had another brilliant idea. I said, maybe Leland has a twin brother, Leonard. <laughs> Leonard Palmer, why not? You know, give him a little bald spot, maybe a mustache. You know? Nah, he wouldn't go for it. I think it was Mark Frost that uh, ruined that idea. Yeah. Anyway, no, I, I, yeah, I felt, uh, I, I, I enjoyed season three and I thought visually, it was visually stunning. She was excellent in it again and, and I was happy the way it ended up at the Palmer House. Yeah. Yeah. I missed you. Oh, thank you. I missed you too. My question is for both of you. Um, so, throughout the entire process, movie and TV series, what was your least favorite thing about doing Twin Peaks and why? I don't know that I had a, a least favorite thing. 
maybe the, the, the little dressing room. <laughs> the honey wagon dressing rooms. But you know, we all had we all shared the same kind of dressing room, so nobody was really special except for Kyle. He had his own trailer. <laughs> this is the for the for the past thirty-five years. Sure. The whole thing. Um, I have one. <laughs> it's uh, thinking about my parents and and knowing that they um, now because I'm a parent. Sorry, I'm hitting my mic everywhere. I forgot that I have more than one mic. Um, as a parent. I can only imagine what that would feel like to see, even though you would know that it's acting and you know that it's pretend and they've met David and David is so nice and loving to them and warm to the people that he meets and, um, and they knew that I wanted to act and um, so they were supportive of all of us kids creatively, but I still, um, <coughs> just have a hard time with that part of it. Knowing that the image of their daughter, why is my mic, is this my voice? I'm just hearing those, yeah, I don't think that comes right. I'm trying to try raise. The aliens Is this better? Yeah. God, I was like, I am losing my mind. I'm hearing these other voices in my head. Okay. Um, so, yes, knowing that that image of their daughter um, dead, uh, even though it's not their daughter, but you know, still in their mind as a parent, that for me, of everything, that was the hardest. It's just my heart going out to them and um, family members. To get back to your question, I didn't want to be the killer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I did not want it to be me. I said, if it can be anybody else, Ben Horn looks good to me, you know? <laughs> to be anybody else, but not me, please. Okay. I, I just, uh, I had my own little baby daughter. She was like uh, two years old at the time. And the whole idea of uh, being the murderer of my daughter on the show uh, was just, uh, didn't sit right with me. In fact, uh, I, I had some bad nights uh, thinking about it, and uh, at one point, I even considered uh, not doing it, not doing the show, the reveal show. It was the day before we actually shot the reveal scene. Um, you know, I look in the mirror and I see Bob, and then I put my rubber glove, and then Maddie comes in, and I, I uh, take her all the way back to Missoula, Montana, and <laughs> smash her face into that picture on the wall and then beat her to death and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. Actually, she was beaten to death by three different people that day, by Richard Beamer, who played Ben Horn, by me, and by Frank Silver, who played Bob, because David didn't want anybody to know who the killer was, not even the crew. So this poor girl, 15, you know, 16 hours of getting beaten to death by three different guys. How was that for you that day? The thing is, those days, you know, it's a tricky thing because it has to be choreographed for safety and stunts and everything just so perfectly. And I was working with such great actors. Um, 
that I knew I was in really good hands. So you have the whole technical part of it uh, that has to be sort of hit exactly. And then, um, and then this emotion with it. Uh, and your adrenaline carries you through those days. It's not until the next day when you try to get out of bed and you can't <laughs> that you realize, wow, that was a doozy. <laughs> but um, yeah, just being in, in such good hands is, is yeah, if you ever want to, if you ever want to be killed you know, on, a, you know. on camera, I'm the go-to guy. You didn't actually hit her, you know. We had a close-up shot of me, and I was punching a pillow, actually, but it sure looked like I was hitting her. So if Richard Beamer killed you that day, too, was it actually like Ben Horn in a different situation rather than the living room of the Palmer House by... No, it was exactly the way... Uh, Okay, it was just it was done the same way every time with a different okay. person, yeah. We all went through the same action. Oh. Yeah. They all pushed her face into the wall and yeah. And they all punched her when she was on the couch and yeah. We all did the same stuff. I'm just thinking, yeah. oh, where's that footage? Uh, neither one of them really did it with as much ferocity as I did. Of course not. Of course not. But uh, that's that's just me tooting my own home. I do that a lot at home but mostly at home. And it doesn't impress my wife at all, you know, or my two kids. Do you want to finish your brown room story with the one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. so anyway, uh, I get called into uh, uh, this room. David wants to talk to me. I get called into this room, and I see in this room Cheryl Lee sitting there with Mark Frost, Richard Beamer, who played Ben Horn, David Lynch. They're all sitting cross-legged on the floor, this dark room. Because there's no furniture. De devoid of furniture, except for this... Uh, waterfall clock lamp. A waterfall clock, kind of a lava lamp, kind of a thingy, in the corner. And so I got down cross-legged like everybody else. And, 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 and David leaned over, he put his hand on my knee, and he said, Ray? It's you, it was always you. And I thought, no, 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 it cannot be me. I believe I said S-H-I-T uh, out loud at that moment. And then he proceeded to say, but Ray, it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And he, and he went on to explain how uh, it was going to happen and how I was going to die. And, I would die in the arms of Cooper, and he would be reciting the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and, and I would be looking down a long, terrible tunnel, and at the end of that tunnel would be a white light, and standing in that white light would be my daughter, Laura, and she would have her arms out to me, and she would forgive me. Ah, I get uh, I get I get weird every time I even talk about it. But um, um, I felt relieved. I felt a great weight had been taken off my chest because I, I I didn't want me to kill her. But he made it somehow palatable for me, and I said, "Okay, let's do it, man. Let's go." Gung <laughs> um, ho. And uh, it was a memorable episode. Uh, Tim Hunter directed it, and, and uh, the water was sprinkling down on me, and, 
and Kyle was great, and uh, um, it was redeeming for me as a, as a human being, not only as an actor. And so it made it all all right. And then I was glad to leave the show. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was never glad to leave the show. I didn't want to leave town. I love these people. Uh, but I had to. Came back in the last episode with uh, white contacts and uh, acting very strangely. And, uh, but I was grateful for it, you know. Anybody have any questions? <laughs> hey guys, um, Cheryl, this is a question more for you. Um, throughout the show, obviously the show, Laura's, you know, the ghost. She's always around, but she's not there. Um, the movie is the first time we actually get to see and her inhabit the body and such. And she's always a victim. And you know, she's presented as a victim. And finally we see her at the end of the film kind of take some agency for herself. And do something about her situation, you know, whether it's finding out who Bob is or or putting on the ring and just making that decision. So uh, can you just kind of speak on like how you view Laura at the end and just where she is taking her own, you know, sort of determination as opposed to just letting everything else happen to her? I don't know that I can actually answer that question because it requires me to view Laura from an outside objective perspective as if I don't know her from the inside. Mm. And I, I don't know how to do that because I know her from the inside because of her being a part of my life for so long. So my experience on the inside was um, that primal part of us that has to, that, that, that no matter how bad it gets on the outside, there is something that wants to survive. That um, is 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 grasping for air and breath and life force. Kind of to touch on that a little bit, but um, you know, Twin Peaks when it came out, it was more of an art piece when TV was safe. Um, how did you guys prepare going into that? Well, for me, it was totally easy because I was—I had never done anything before in television or film. My training was in theater, so I had no reference point. So all of it was new, and I—I I didn't know anything. I just was in the presence of great teachers like Ray and Grace and David. And mm. we, we had no idea really <laughs> how it was going to be perceived by uh, an audience. We just knew that, uh, you know, we were, as we were doing the pilot, we knew that it was good writing, great characters, and we were doing good work, but how it, it would be taken, we, we had no idea. And uh, I remember we went to see a screening of the pilot, and uh, we thought, yeah, pretty good, you know, uh, different, uh, yeah, but I don't know, it's on ABC, you know. That's unheard of, really, actually. We did things on that show that they're barely doing today, you know, and, and on a major network at that time, it's amazing that it ever got on the air, but it did because of the strength of force 
of, of its own being. It had to come out, but they were forced to put it on the air because everybody you know, liked that pilot so much. And once it was, everybody responded to it and it had to go on. It never, uh, David never wanted it to be solved, the, the murder of, of Laura Palmer. He wanted it to go on and on and on. And ABC, uh, that time it was owned and operated by Capital Cities. And uh, I don't think they liked the show really from the get-go. <laughs> but you know, that's the way big corporations are sometimes. And um, they don't care what I think. But I'll always think that they messed up and they, they screwed up a good thing because we could have kept it going for a few years anyway. And we could have hit everybody in that town and, and you could have found out everything about them that you'll ever want to find out. And we just sort of missed the boat on that one. And then uh, David hadn't had his fill of it, so he, he wanted to do Fire Walk with me. And, and, uh, and we were very happy to, to come back. Hi, um, welcome to Ohio. Welcome back. Um, Thank you. A great work. Obviously, everyone feels the same way. But um, was David Lynch transparent with you about your roles, or did it kind of develop, or were you kept in the dark at any moment? I feel like I'm always in the dark with him, but the dark is not a bad place to be. It's the place of mystery, and it's the place of living in the question and having the courage to live in the unknown. And I love that. And I greatly appreciate his courage to sit still in that place. Very well put. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, uh, we've, we're flying by the seat of our pants a lot of the time and never knowing what was going to happen the next day, as it is in real life. Our characters never knew what was going to happen. So we just blithely moved along and and we'd look at the page and say, oh, I have to do this, so I'll do it. And, and it was uh, a wild experience. Sure, what was it, what was it like uh, playing Laura Palmer in the show, or Maddie, I guess, mostly, the, the live version of you? Um, but once the series came to a close and you kind of put those characters to bed, uh, when the script was presented to you, or the opportunity to make Fire Walk with me, um, what was your initial thought on if you wanted to revisit the character or if, or your process on like, okay, now I'm going back to something I never thought would, I'd be playing alive, you know? Uh, how was that transition? Just kind of, or kind of just your decision on that and kind of putting yourself in that space again, uh, but to approach the character as a live version. Uh, well, I, I, I can't remember exactly when I first saw a script, but I remember having conversations with David and coffee with David after the series was over that he was sort of chewing on this idea of um, the film. And as an actor, when you finish a role, um, usually there's a sort of closure circle. It's like, okay, this feels finished now. Um, but I never, ever felt that with Laura. Even though I had only really been hired to play Laura for such a short time, but I could feel that character's life force. And so it was a, a great relief in a way to have, it felt as if she needed to express more and hadn't been given the space to have that voice. And so it, it was this feeling of, 
like full cellular relief and release to be able to give life to her and let her have her full circle. Awesome. First of all, you guys have the Ohio production. Do you have any Ohio productions, right? Connections! <laughs> do, you have, do you have any Ohio connections? <laughs> do I have any Ohio connections? Columbus connections. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, as a matter of fact, I do, yeah. I was here in 1967, way back when. I was at, uh, I was a, an apprentice actor at uh, Kenley Players. It was at Veterans Memorial Auditorium, I think it was. Yeah, and uh, for a whole summer, and um, and that I got that's where I started developing my chops as an actor, and I played small parts. I was in Philadelphia Story with George Hamilton, and uh, on a clear day you can see forever with Shirley Jones, and playing small parts, you know, and uh, Barefoot in the Park with Jessica Walter and George Maharis, and uh, I played the Lord and Taylor delivery man. This guy was about 90 years old, and I was 20, I think, at the time. A lot of heavy makeup, and. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that sort of got me started, yeah. No. <laughs> you guys are it. Yeah. A couple of questions. Uh, first one for Laura. Um, when they brought back the series... Laura? <laughs> Come on, man. She sometimes goes by Cheryl. You gotta do that. <laughs> hey, I didn't even... It, it didn't even occur... I didn't even catch that that wasn't my name. <laughs> After they brought back the show the 25 years later, did that bring closure to the character for you? Because obviously it didn't for me. <laughs> um, I want to make sure that I heard your question correctly. Just, I heard you say that, that uh, the character Laura, um, it was hard to, to put the character to rest. So I'm curious, when they brought back the 25 years later, did that bring closure to the character? More, more in a sense of that. God, that is a very complex question that I feel like I should have an easy answer for, and yet I have a <laughs> I have a very complex answer for that question that I don't even have words for yet. Um, because time, now that I'm older, is uh, much stranger to me. Because even in life, I feel like time keeps circling back on itself. And so then working with David supports that, <laughs> that time keeps circling back on itself. So I'm sitting in a different place with what closure is and what closure looks like now at 52 than I was at 22 or 23. That I so did not answer your question, I'm sorry. <laughs> See what happens? See what happens? I'm uh, sure I have a follow-up question. I, I used to be a social worker, and I would get like secondary trauma from like hearing things from other people. Did you carry any of that like with you outside of your work? Because it's like super traumatic stuff going on. Did you like leave that with any trauma that you had to deal with? Well, first off, thank you for your social work. Um, when you learn to be an actor, nobody teaches you how to let go of stuff. Uh, and, it, and I feel like that's a really important part that should be taught. <laughs> um, so I kind of had to learn on my own. 
And I had a wonderful doctor one time say to me, you have to remember the only part of you that knows that you're acting is your mind. So your physical body, if you're in a state of sadness and you're crying, or if you're in a state of fear, those chemicals in your body are, are releasing as if you really are in a state of danger or fear or um, sadness. So I appreciate the thoughtfulness of your question. Um, I've learned over the years how, just by trial and error and by learning the hard way most of the time, um, how to manage that when working. But I did not know how to do that as a youngster. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish it was just taught more in our culture everywhere, not, not just actors, but there's so much trauma um, now from so many different things that... Yeah, and when I, uh, when I did it, when I did Twin Peaks, I had already had about 30 years under my belt of playing uh, bad guys and good guys and outrageous guys and of every ilk. And so I was able to uh, leave that all in the studio and drive home to my house in the valley in Glendale and, uh, and um, just be a dad and a husband, you know, and, uh, and, then, and then I would next day come to the studio and be that person all over again. But I was able to leave it and shuck it off, yeah. So there's a lot of scenes, a lot of great scenes with two of you um, that are super tense, where you're both maybe lying to each other, or like when you're in the car and uh, you get well, that's my favorite scene in the whole movie. That 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 sequence uh, is my favorite in the whole film. I want to know what it's like to ramp up to that, um, you know, that character action, and what it's like after they say cut. Because you're both almost shaking with this internal uh, trauma. That it it was a, a really an intense intense scene and it it took all day to shoot that scene and i remember one of the few times i've ever seen david short-tempered was at getting towards the end of doing that scene shooting that whole sequence and uh he became a little uh, uh short-tempered and a little disturbed and uh, uh I, I think i and I, you never hear him yell, but uh, you could tell that he was a little bit angry at, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, angry at who. I think it was a crew member, it wasn't any, any of us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a, 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 a very intense, intense scene. And, and then when D David would describe to us uh, how it would go into flashbacks of going into the you know the motel and all of that and uh, and he wanted to see that register on my eyeballs. You know the, I had to I had to create that whole thing in my in my head, imagining it and seeing it for myself. Because you know the camera, the camera don't lie. It gets right in your eyes. And if you're not thinking the right stuff, it sees it. That's why there has to be truth in acting, you know, and and so I I, I felt that it's always uh, it's always easiest to be thinking the right thought, 
at the right moment. Because then your eyes and everything else follows, and uh, your nose, your lips, everything. Yeah. Does that make sense? I've been a part of an online community of fans of media arts for the last 15 years or so, and they're all jealous that I'm here, because we've always held up Twin Peaks as one of the great works. And in particular, the, the third season just, in our opinion, looks like a masterpiece. So the question they want me to ask is from that, and they want me to ask Cheryl, is Carrie Page Laura Palmer? <laughs> Do you really think I'm allowed to answer that question? <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Tell them thank you for the question. <laughs> and I'm way more interested in what they think than what I think. I think that's what they think, which is why I was asking. <laughs> and David would say the same thing. You know, whatever, whatever you think it is, that's what it is. I was just, I was just in LA a month ago, and David was there speaking on stage, and they asked him. They said. Uh, they just tried to get anything out of them. They were like, in Blue Velvet, uh, working with Angelo's music, was there ever a moment where Angelo's music just fell into place and you just felt like, this is it, and this is why I have him, and this is right with this scene, and everything is right with the world, and David's like, no. <laughs> and that was the only question mentioned about his film. <laughs> a funny story, Angelo Badalamenti, the great composer, wrote the music, uh, he, he has a funny story and, and a true story. Uh, Paul McCartney got in touch with him, uh, you know, during the run of the series, and he wanted to do some music with Angelo. And so he flew him over to Apple Studio in London, and, and uh, Angelo tells this story that McCartney told him. McCartney went to Buckingham Palace to play some new music for the Queen and her husband. And he, and he was in the reception line, and she was going down the line, and she got to Paul McCartney, and he said, Your Majesty, I have some new music I'd like to play for you. And she said, well, it's 10 minutes to 9, and Twin Peaks is going to be on. Uh, we're going to go upstairs, and then after, we'll come, come down, and you can play the music. True story. The Queen of England went up to watch Twin Peaks. Put Paul McCartney on hold. I do my own dream work uh, for my roles, just myself. Um, and for me, it's a little bit like learning a foreign language. You know how they say when you're learning a foreign language, if you dream in the foreign language, then it's, you're integrating it. So there's usually some point um, before I start working where I have a character dream. And that always helps me it's always like a good affirming thing for me, like, okay, I am getting rooted in this character's life. Um, and then sometimes I'll continue to have them. When I was playing Laura, I had Laura dreams all the time, all the time. And even if they were very, a lot of them were very, very disturbing, but it helped me know that I was where I needed to be. Um, but I never discussed them with anyone, not even David. 
Did you have any dreams? I had no dreams. <laughs> what I had to do on camera was enough for me. I didn't, I didn't have any dreams in that kind. Um, and you talked about 25 years later. I was very, actually very disappointed 25 years later because I was hardly in season three. <laughs> and I had thought perhaps David could have, uh, you know, you integrated me a little more into the story than uh, he did. I thought it'd be between two worlds, you know. We'd go back and forth a little bit. And I never anticipated Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a line. And I did have to say it backwards. <laughs> and then they played a couple of clips from the television series, or no, from Firewalk With Me. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. That was the extent of it. And that's, uh, that's my only criticism of the third season. <laughs> that I was on it more. In the back. <laughs> she missed me. I missed him. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> that was just the line. What was the question? About uh, when we, when originally it was I'll see you in 25 years. Um, was there anything else said, correct? Is that, correct. The, yeah. Um, other than just the line. And there wasn't. Not, not, that, I re not that I remember. Uh, yeah, this is a Laura Palmer question, but uh, Cheryl or Ray can answer it if they want it. Nope. Oh. Um, Towards the end of part 18 on the return, Laura, um, when Coop and Laura are together, she looks back and it's revealed that Cooper was the one in the bushes when James and Laura were there earlier in this movie. Um, did you know in filming this that it was Cooper in the bushes or what did you think was in the bushes? Yeah, Cooper's always in the bushes. <laughs> Cooper was in the bushes? The one that just happened? Season three, you know, the one that was hardly in. What year is it? Cooper jumped back in time to save you. Oh, those bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that he was in the bushes? <laughs> I, I, mean, I wish you had a mic. Can you stand up and talk and yell at me so I can hear you? Okay, um, <laughs> at the end of part 18, in the return. Yeah, the one that just happened. <laughs> when you are going back in time with Cooper and eventually end up in the Odessa dimension or whatever, it's revealed that Cooper was in the bushes. <laughs> Did I know that Cooper was in the bushes? Wait, yeah, but he 
here's the thing. This is where it gets really complicated. Did I, Cheryl, know Cooper was in the bushes? Or did I, Laura, know Cooper was in the bushes? Did I, Laura, from the present or the past? Or did I, Carrie? Or did Carrie Page know Cooper was in the bushes? This is what my life is like, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some research on that question <laughs> and get back to you. <laughs> what did I think I was screaming at? Yeah. <sighs> so many things. <laughs> Television, and I don't think ABC would air anything like that now. No, they would not. No. Um, what did ABC, you know, cut anything? So you don't can't have this much blood, or you can't have it. No, they couldn't because they couldn't because Mark Mark Frost and David Lynch had an agreement with them that they're hands off. That's why a lot of the stuff got on the air. I think that should have maybe gotten on the air. <laughs> Hands off, or else we're not going to do the series. We're not going to do it. And so they were forced, you know, they were forced by gunshot, you know, that they couldn't, they couldn't stop us from doing that kind of thing, you know, and that's why. But then they fired the gun and ended us. And uh, uh, ABC never liked the show. I hate to say that. Because I work for ABC now on a show. <laughs> <laughs> on a show called Fresh Off the Boat. Where I play one of Orlando's 100 greatest dentists. And, uh, uh, but ABC never really, uh, they were uh, owned and operated by Cap Capital Cities at the time, and they were not fans of the show. So uh, they realized they had to keep it on because everybody wanted to keep it on. But they, they did all they could to try and uh, torpedo it. Maybe did it Thursday to Saturday, and, yeah. Yeah, they kept changing around the schedule, and, <clears throat> and they kept, uh, you know, uh, uh, pestering David and Mark to, to end the murder mystery. Get it over with. Let's find somebody who killed her. Get it over with. David never wanted to get it over with. It was hard to find y'all back then. There was you know, no internet, so they were... You know, I'm, I'm like, I want to see my show, and <laughs> I have to go find you guys. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was it was difficult. Not, uh, today, we wouldn't have that problem. We'd be streaming somewhere, you know. Question for Shelley. It's so great to be here. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, I'm really, I've always been really enamored in, uh, with the relationship between Laura and Donna, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, what it was like um, working with two different actresses for those that character. And also, how you felt about how that friendship was portrayed, and did that feel real? Were you, were you channeling anything? Well, uh, yeah, portraying that. Well, I I loved both Donnas. To me, Donna was Donna. Um, <laughs> no matter which actress, and I loved working with both actresses. They came into my life at different times, and um, they each hold a special place in my heart. And um, I had worked with Moira before Firewalk With Me, which was just completely synchronistic. I don't even think David knew that when he cast her. 
So there was some history there, which was really wonderful um, going in. And, you know, one of the things that I always appreciated, even as a young woman at that time, was that David and Mark were able to write these wonderful, rich characters for women, and that they would even address female friendship in the way that they did, and give it space, and give it breath, and give it room. And so, and, and, and that it wasn't um, one-dimensional. And that always meant a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, Larry Flynn Boyle's daughter held a special place in my golf bag. Hence <laughs> <laughs> why she had to be recast for my Terrible, isn't it? I'm sorry. I can't just stop. I can't stop. I to ask a follow-up question about the bushes. Are you sure? Do you have one question? No, you can ask it. In Cheryl Lee's opinion, at the end of season three. The one that just happened. The one that just happened. <laughs> the one with the bushes. Happy ending, sad ending, or somewhere in the middle for Laura? Uh, that, Good that, for me, that's like way, way, way too simple. Meaning, I don't know that true, true happiness ever comes without understanding the depth of sadness. I don't know that sadness ever comes without experiencing the happiness of love and caring for things and do you know what I mean? So somewhere in the middle to me is sort of flatlined and I definitely don't think it was flatlined because I think one of the greatest things that David gives us as, as a director and also as a storyteller is that he keeps the love and the heart in it even in the midst of all this other devastation. Mm. And um, so I can't give you an answer that simple. So I should have asked about the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> what was your guys' reaction to episode eight of the new season? Yeah. With a bomb and Nine Inch Nails and Woodsman and all the fear. Yeah, that was pretty uh, spectacular, yeah. A visually stunning, um, Mind-boggling, could stand on its own eighth episode. Yeah, that was uh, was pretty amazing. But again, did not have one drop of meat. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that things would eventually loop back around to you and Cooper, to to Laura and Cooper, what was the experience like for you watching how? The show got back around to that through the entire process of that third season. Okay, but wait a minute. Yeah. You're making an assumption that I knew something. How do you, what makes I, you? I was, I was going to ask that, but I thought that might be uh, jumping the gun. What were you going to ask? Oh, it, well, I, I had always, I had heard that Kyle was the only one who had the script to the entire third season. I did not have the full script. Okay, what was your experience like watching the third season, knowing at some point, you and Cooper would be 
a part of that again. But see, I might not have known that. I had very, very little information. Think about what happens in your mind right now when I say, I had very little information. <laughs> and then multiply that times a million. That's how much little information I have. I had even less. I had one page of script with two words on it, and I had to say it backwards. I thought, why did he have me come back? What was your experience watching week to week of the third season? Knowing that you were in it in some way. Well, I didn't know that I was in it. I mean, I've, I've worked on films that I wasn't in. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So we never know whether we're in it or not in it or what they're gonna do. Like, we have to surrender control when we, when we leave work every day. Um, so I knew very little. I, I knew what I experienced in my life, <laughs> meaning which days I showed up and what I did on those days that I showed up. I didn't know what order. I had no script. I had no, so it was really about being just completely present in the moment on the day when I showed up and doing what David said. <laughs> um, but I will say that when I watched it, um, I would watch almost every episode by myself, but often with Grace on the phone. Grace and I would talk about it. And I would often watch one episode right after another. And to answer the question about eight, um, I just wanna say because I have been teaching and so uh, watching eight for me as an elder, <laughs> I was so grateful that David was giving and offering younger generations a reference point that was so far beyond the normal reference point, the normal boundary that they had witnessed on television that he just like knocked that down and said, this is what you can do with this medium. I mean, it was like, what, 20, 25 minutes with no dialogue? I was just literally doing a happy dance in front of the TV about that. Just that, even that, and the visuals and the sound and what he does with sound and music and everything and the actors. And so I was just really grateful that it got to be shared with, with up and coming generations. So this is kind of a two-pronged thing. One is just a comment that's more so like, uh, Hey everybody, what do you think about this? The other one is more so like directed at you. What does everybody think about the fact that Harry Truman is a character in Twin Peaks, but Harry S. Truman dropped the atomic bomb in reference to episode eight of the new, or the, the, new, the new season? And also, um, what do you all think about the like overarching theme of trauma in Twin Peaks and, and the fact that he's that Lynch is referencing the trauma of dropping the atomic bomb interspliced into like the trauma of Laura Palmer's character and and like abuse and mass, I guess. Well, the simple answer is every single thing is connected. 
I got real problems with Harry Truman. Atomic bomb on Japan. I've got real problems with that. But that's for another. We'll save that for another. But you know what I mean about that everything's connected. That they say a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the earth, and the butterflies on the other side feel it. Like we can't have a conversation about trauma as individuals without also having a conversation about the trauma of the whole planet. challenging to find words for because I was very aware that I think I was 50 when we did the return and that I had been 21 or something and um, I just did a lot of introspective work about time and what is time and what does time mean and being in that energy of David's circle of time does very strange things to one. And um, sort of being a part of that process and also witnessing what was going on in my life around that time that we, that we were filming also, it, it's almost like that period, that year of my life that we shall return, I kind of put in a little box and put at the back of a closet because it's something that I really, really need to take out when I have more time and open and really process through it because it was so, so trippy. And it was emotional and it was nostalgic and it was melancholy and it was um, there were tears, and it was beautiful, and it was um, heartbreaking, and it was, you know, we had lost, we've, I mean, I've, we've lost people as humans, and we've lost actors, and so there were so, so, so many things that I, it deserves time to process, and I haven't, um, carved out that time yet, or maybe I'm too scared to carve out that time, but I promise I will, I will process through that. Thank you. At least she had something in her box. I had nothing in my box. <laughs> <laughs> Was it like a... Was it a fortune cookie and then I just read Find Laura? <laughs> well, Peggy was a beautiful human being and uh, a wonderful just a wonderful person to know and to be around. She was a very, you know, she's a very spiritual lady and 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 a, a very, a very, very fine actress. And uh, missed her and Miss Jack Nance. Yeah. You know, the original, she wrapped in plastic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, Paul yeah. and Jack. And Catherine also. Catherine Longlady, yeah. Uh, for me, Catherine and Peggy had a similar bright, bright light that just seemed like it could never possibly go out. Yeah. Well, we, were, we were a pretty close bunch, you know, we really were. Research, especially once I knew um, that we were going to do the film, and I also was in brilliant hands with David as a director, and I had genius people playing my parents, Grace and Ray, um, and yeah, but you did well. <laughs> Well, I, I need to also give credit to the to people who wrote wonderful, complex female characters yeah. at a time when, you know, as a woman, to be even able to read a script that has a female character that is that complex and that layered and has that many sides to her, that is a gift, just to even get to read a script like that, because they're not as common as we wish they were. When I played Laura, I, I knew her story. I knew her story inside and out. And um, like I said, did extensive research. But I, as I've gotten older, now three decades older and a parent, and um, the thing that has, I don't know that it's changed as that it's deepened and expanded in me is my heartbreak of how often Laura's story happens in real life every single day to so many people. And I don't understand how those statistics from 30 years ago to now have not gone down. And that's a question for our whole world. Cheryl, so uh, your character ends up having like two fates. There's the one in this where she's killed by uh, her father, right? And then there's the one at the end of the return where like Cooper goes back and stops her from being killed and she turns into Carrie Page. Uh, which of those two do you think is the best like send off for that character? Did you just say she turned into Carrie Page? Sort of, yeah. Sort of, right? Is that what we they don't call know. her that? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do you know? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it seemed like. I don't know. <laughs> this is what I love about it, is getting to hear what you guys think. What I think the story is might be completely different than what David thinks the story is and what you think the story is, and what he thinks the story is, and what he thinks the story is. 
And I think that's one of the coolest things about David. And that it may change. I may, I may, I may change my mind like seven more times. <laughs> It's hard to know, like which it's that thing of which comes first, because I I think he always has had a huge impact and influence on me creatively and as an artist, and always will. He's my, one of my greatest teachers, um, and working with him in that way taught was like me getting a degree. I always was looking for complex characters, and I I. Always wanted multi-dimensional female characters. Um, thank you so much. And I and I always hoped to do something different than I had last done, so that I could grow and um, learn and stretch out of my comfort zone. Firewalk uh, for me is such an emotional powerhouse, and as I've watched the film over the years, it's just such raw emotion. Is there a particular scene? either of you in that that you really felt just like you were lost in the character and you just felt like the emotion kind of on you. Because I mean, every time I watch it, I'm just more and more entranced by just the, the level of intensity you provide. I think that just goes back to what I was saying about working with brilliant actors, you know, just to, to just watch and listen and respond. Really, acting is just listening and responding and being completely present in the moment and to be able to be present in the moment with people like Ray and Grace and everyone else that David brought together. Um, I feel like I was always lost in it, in a way. It, it was a living, breathing thing all on its own. Um, yeah, because of that it came, a lot of it came so easy. It, it, it felt like you know, like our own lives. It felt like, like second nature. It all just sort of flowed. And uh, I remember when I, you know, I'm, I'm holding her graduation picture and, and doing a little dance and crying. And, and then I, I smack, you know, Grace comes in and I smash that picture and I, and I actually cut my thumb for real. And, and, uh, and I bled all over that picture. It was, uh, you know, one of those uh, real uh, apocalypse now moments, you know. <laughs> And uh, uh, the whole the whole thing was sort of like that. We had we had great moments like that that just came out. It just flowed. Uh, how did you get involved with Tim and Eric, and how was that experience? Oh God! <laughs> I did their I did their their tele, you know their uh, show. I, I did office hugs for them, and uh, uh, I showed how to how to give a proper office hug. And then, uh, see, Tim and Eric were big fans of Twin Peaks. This is how I got much of my work during the 90s. You know, people, if they didn't give me the job, they at least wanted to meet me, you know? And, uh, a lot of, yeah, and I, like uh, Diane Keaton, she directed an episode, but after I was gone. So she was doing this TV movie. So she called me in, you know, to maybe play the father. And uh, she gave the part to Bo Bridges. <laughs> And, and uh, 
I think she just wanted to say, you know, see me and say hello. And, and that happened quite a few times. But other times, they actually gave me the job, and I was, uh, I was thrilled when that happened. <laughs> definitely not gotten back to normal. <laughs> if I ever even started at normal. <laughs> yeah, huge, there is a huge recovery time now. Um, uh, well, she needed a couple of weeks just to get some sleep, really, yeah. actually. It's a very different way of working creatively than um, working with David and working on this show and working on this character is a different way of working than a lot of other jobs. And so um, it requires a different part of my brain and a different skill set and a different part of my, like for example, going to work in the red room, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very different part of creativity than going to play a doctor on a show. Mm -hmm. So neither one is harder or different or better or worse. It's just very different. So. Um, there is just recovery, recovery time, but there's recovery time for uh, for a lot of jobs too. But yeah, uh, how I met your mother is a little easier to do. Than, uh, <laughs> and I did do that, and I and I do fresh off the boat now. It's on ABC now, and uh, and, uh, and you know uh, David David sets he sets a very high bar, and not many. Um, movie directors uh, come close to it. There are some, but not many, and uh, he's truly a, a, a very remarkable, original individual in all, in all respects. He's a, he's, a, he's a true renaissance man, and, and uh, he, he does his own thing, and he really doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks. Yeah. And the fact that you, uh, you you think along his lines thrills him to no end. <laughs> He's thrilled by it. Um, what is it about your, you and your work with Twin Peaks that brings you back to things like this so long after the It brings us back to things like this. Mm -hmm. I think for the adulation, probably. <laughs> Whenever I start to feel low, <laughs> I like to come to one of these, and I, and I feel good again. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's good for the ego, believe me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, everyone is so passionate about the show, and so knowledgeable, and they, they know more about Leland than I do sometimes. And uh, it's just great to be uh, in your presence, so it's a treat. Yeah, I feel like you guys are responsible for keeping it alive for all these decades. And so for us to be able to come and say thank you to you guys, um, because it wouldn't, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys. We wouldn't, it wouldn't have had all this long life if it wasn't for you guys. So we get to say thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you guys for coming. That is so awesome, Ben, that you got to do that. And we get to share this with our audience. 
Um, I hope everybody appreciates this because this is something very special. Ben, you you had you had an amazing time. Yeah, I mean, I'm so impressed with Mike McGrainer and like how he put all this together. And I want to thank him and thank Ray Wise and Cheryl Lee for doing this. It was such a special weekend. It was so cool to see friends and hang out with everybody and just get this. It was just it was like to me it was like a mini festival. It was like mm, a special mm. thing to be able to get to hang out with everybody and and get to see this the Q and A. And of course we got to see you know Firewalk with Me and they did the missing pieces and they had just all these extra stuff. It was like an all day event. <laughs> I mean, it really, I, and I did, and this happened three times. So it's a, it's a, it was a crazy weekend. Ben's tired. Yeah, I'm tired of watching. No, I'm never tired of watching Twin Peaks. No, but, um, you can't be tired, Ben, because our next show in two weeks, the beginning of August, we are going to be dropping one of the biggest episodes we've ever dropped in our life. Biggest. Our 200th anniversary special. What are we still doing this show for? 200. 200. Wow. Now we have. Wow, Bob. Wow. We have some surprise guests on the show. We will have a surprise co-host on the show. And on top of all that, we will be making some very, very big announcements. Big announcements. Four years in the making. In my head, I just did whatever I had to do. To get, to get ready for the next scene. Sometimes it meant I had to go off in a corner, in a dark corner, and just stare at the corner. <laughs> get away from everybody and everything. Uh, other times, you know, I could be a little lighter about it and, and walk around and sing a song. And uh, Leland had a lot of light moments, you know. Oh, yeah. And he sure loved to sing, you know. <laughs> audience in the yeah. world.